A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. Hey everybody, it's Raghu and I'm back with Ramdas here and now. Got a wonderful talk for you. But before we get into that, I just want to point out a couple of things from our wonderful partner, 1440.org. And uh, just to mention, you can go to 1440.org, of course. It's 1440 Multiversity in Santa Cruz. And uh, you can go there and find out all of the wonderful retreats and uh, workshops that they have there. I want to just call out on a couple of them, because I look at this and then I go, wow. In fact, some of these people make wonderful podcast guests on my Mind Rolling podcast, which is also on the Be Here Now Network. If you haven't checked that out, please do. And one of uh, these people who I am going to get with is a man named Judson Brewer, and it's the workshop is Hack Your Mind for Better Health. And uh, Kate over at 1440 tipped me on uh, Judson, so we're going to do something. And that's in the middle of April, April 12th. And then I'm just looking at something else. It's uh, a, a workshop on, it's called Frentimacy, right, with Shasta Nelson. It's in the middle of May, May 17th, and it's Understanding True Friendship and Intimacy. And it's a retreat for women only. So I looked at that and I went, wow, we guys could certainly use a little bit of uh, advice on, on that. I'll have, to, uh, I'll have to try and get with Shasta as well about that. Uh, so a, a couple of great things. Uh, take a look yourself and you, I'm sure, will find something attractive that uh, would help in uh, day-to-day life. And the other thing that I want to call attention to is a new book. Now, you all know about Walking Each Other Home, Ram Dass's book with Mirabai Bush that came out last fall, last October, and uh, September, October. And now we have a, a, a little book coming. It's, well, it's not that little, but it's a book of Ram Dass's most uh, famous and rare stories that he has told in his talks over these many decades. And it's fantastic, you know, these teaching stories that he tells. Uh, so we are coming out with that from the foundation, Love, Serve, Remember Foundation, in mid-April. So the, I want to encourage everybody, if you are not signed up to ramdas.org, where you'll get a notice that it's available, not to mention... You know, these wonderful courses that we put out uh, that are all free. The uh, May retreat in Maui, 
with Ram Das Krishnas, Bob Thurman, and a wonderful new guest, Annie Lamott. And if, again, if you've listened to Mind Rolling, you've listened to Annie, who's fantastic. And that will be a free stream, live stream from Maui. Now, to take advantage of all this, you need to sign up to ramdas.org. Just put your email address in there. And by the way, I know this happens. Many people, they sign up, then they kind of forget about it, and there it is. Spam. Goes into the spam mail somehow. I don't know how it happens. It happens to me, too. And then I go, I didn't do that. It's just more of the digital technology um, mystery. Anyhow, but uh, if you are, are, are already signed up, then please go into your spam bucket if you think. I haven't been getting any emails from uh, ramdas.org, Love Server Member Foundation. And you'll see that you have. And all you got to do is turn your spam off on those incoming emails. And for those of you who haven't, please do. Because there's lots of great stuff that uh, is offered that you can take part in. Okay, that's enough of all of my commercials. This Ramdas talk is called It's All Yoga. Now, the wonder of this is that uh, Ramdas talks about taking care of his father, the service that he did when his father was very aged and close to his end. And I start listening to this thing and I go, and he talks about his father, my father, who is now 88 years old. And I thought, holy shit, Ram Das is going to be 88, uh, April, what is it, 5th, 6th, or 7th, something like that, right in there. So, wow, full circle. And he describes the entire condition and being having to be taken care of to the bathroom and dressed and fed, et cetera, et cetera. And now, of course, Ram Das is in the same position. Uh, uh, quite amazing, the... The wheel of life, huh? Um, so w- really what this is about is, is Ramdas is using this as an example of the kinds of day-to-day stuff that he had to deal with. Like he, in, his, in the caretaking, you know, one day he'd wake up feeling kind. Next day he'd wake up, ooh, this long-suffering, I've got to be here every day and do this for Dad. And then next day it would be patronizing. Next day, impatient. Or, uh, and then another day he'd feel humorous. Another day he'd be distracted. Another day he'd just be on automatic. Uh, all of it. Uh, just the daily attitudes that, you know, how we wake up with this extreme gluing to our story that's very very hard to cut through now so what he's talking about is in this case he saw his father as his uh as his karma not as a nuisance uh, you know and um and the purpose that he found was being able to wake up in these moods that uh that drove him, and ultimately, he would develop equanimity, a spacious place from which he can help his father, 
and it's just helping dad is just like happening and you get extricated from being the actor in that story so uh therein it is all yoga you know we all are cultivating that part of us that is in the world but not of the world doing it all but learning how to remain at rest and in that way you know how we, people talk about yeah i've got my work life my family life my friends my fun life and then i have my spiritual life so i'll sit down and do a little a five minute meditation i might go to a yoga class and that's my spiritual life so the beauty of this uh, particular talk from ramdas is the the insight into the fact that it is all only spiritual once you develop that perspective it's all yoga right and um I love this part. There's some funny stuff. Of course, Ramdas is uh, nothing but that sense of humor is pervasive throughout, right? Um, so he got into this place with his father that he was like really happening, you know, from a yogic point of view. And he could see his stuff. He, he had spaciousness around it. And then it started to be completely a delight because I think he also had a, a wonderful... Uh, relationship at the end, whereas when his father was a vibrant man, it wasn't that wonderful. Or at least it wasn't that close, I think. And I love this. His brother comes and tells him, yeah, this is so great. Richard, you're doing this, taking care of dad. And, uh, <laughs> and Ram Dass is thinking, I can't tell him how delighted I am. So I put, a, put him on <laughs> and just say, it's okay, Bill. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> I love that. Oh, that sense of humor. Um, yeah, and then there, there's some good stuff around how uh, the way that we all milk every part of the stuff of life, you know, which again goes back to our story. And after a while, uh, we're, everything is just watching it all go down. Uh, you know, you're watching a drama and you get a little bit it get all gets a little empty everything that turned you on maybe doesn't have that same vibrancy and a little bit of the dark night of the soul hey we all get that that all manifests after some time especially uh, when you really are firmly on the spiritual path um so it's a little bit of oh god you know you're not quite um enraptured by the presence of the divine uh, and you're not being fulfilled by the world, that's a, that's a toughie. Um, it gets empty. So, uh, but you can't go back, right? He, he has a great phrase here called the sensual manipulation of things, how we really, really wring out the pleasure in everything that we can from a meal to lovemaking, to a book, a good book, a good movie, all of it, even to the point of a, wow, we had a great kirtan last night. Oh, I had so much joy, you know, joy, sensual manipulation of things. I guess that just rang with me so true how uh, I see myself doing that same thing. And you go back and you go back and you're milking it and then, Jesus, it just doesn't have that same, same 
buzz. You know, you lost the buzz. <laughs> so treating it all, including that as yoga, the yoking of true nature, then everything that comes up is just another great opportunity to move forward to freedom. It just reminds me again, I think I've mentioned that we have uh, a new film of Ramdas, uh, which will come out, I don't know when yet. We're working on that right now in terms of a whole plan. It's a feature-length uh, documentary, Ramdas, The Arc of His Teachings and of His Life, uh, using a lot of great uh, archival footage that we have and, and then a current uh, interview with the director, Jamie Cato. And it's called Becoming Nobody. And I, uh, I think on the last podcast, I, I, I must have said this again then, but I still love it and it applies to this whole concept of taking everything. It's all yoga. Uh, and it was Ramdas saying, only nobody gets free. Isn't that great? I want to make a t-shirt. Only nobody gets free. So there you go. This is Ramdas. It's all yoga on the Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash here and now, and there'll be show notes there. And uh, I'm sure the guys will find some great link outs pertaining to this particular subject, perhaps from other sources as well. And we will see you next week. So here we are. It's all yoga for a few minutes i'd just like to explore um or share with you a um uh, a way of sort of the application of some of the stuff we were talking about and um the example <laughs> i've been using these days is concerning my family um, my father is now 88 years old and, um, he's very, um, frail, but he's, he's big, but he's, uh, weak and very delicate and has many things wrong with him, but he basically is healthy. He's just got a little heart condition and a little diabetes and a lot of intestinal matters and and um, he would fall over if you didn't sort of keep him up. And um, my stepmother, until she died this year, was the primary caretaker ever since they married. And um, but a few years back, I uh, I had been on the road almost all the time because I'm a, Maharaji always said, Ramdas, you shouldn't stay in one place too long because. Yogis like water get a little uh, stagnant when they stay in one place. They get attached. So he always was getting me to move, and I've been moving ever since. So sometimes I'm on the road like eight, nine months. Uh, I go on tours for eight months where I'm in a different city every other night, for example, for eight months. So you finally just establish your home and your being because you're always in a hotel or a something, something. 
and you would wipe yourself out if you were saying, gee, I only got seven more months till I get home. I mean, it would be, you'd be creating suffering for yourself all the time. So, uh, but I do these, do my life very in kind of a spiral so that I will go out into the world and teach and share and do whatever it is I do. And then after a while, what I experience is that I plateau. I get to the point where I'm very good at my game. I mean, I really, I feel comfortable in sharing Dharma and I love doing it and it feels like that's my work. But I feel the ways in which partly the toxicities of just that particular game, every game has its own little toxicities to it and I can feel those sort of building up a little bit over time. And I haven't quite been able to shed them all and um, I also feel that although my game is good, it's just not good enough because I always have Maharaji there as the real thing to deal with. And I'm always constantly not comparing, but I'm just moving towards. And I realize that this method of teaching is a good yoga, but then it gets to the point where it's just sort of not good enough and you want to go on you want to go do something else. And so at that point, I usually stop for a while and I go do something else. I, Sometimes I do I like going to Rangoon this summer. Uh, sometimes I go to Bali and play. I mean, I have all different kinds of ways of shifting gears. So a few years ago, I just realized that uh, I was right at the, uh, I don't know what you call it, but it was, I was uh, speaking a great deal and the lectures just lots and lots of lectures and lots happening and all kinds of activities. And I just decided I really wasn't yet pure enough and I ought to purify some more. And I would just stop and instead of having an immediate structure, go to an ashram, go put it and pose a structure, I wouldn't have any structure. I just stay open. And I'd listen to hear another harmony, another way to be in the universe. Well, the first thing I heard was that the family really needed me at home. And I, um, being very much a um, consciousness of the 60s, which in, the, in America meant a certain kind of independence, so that uh, by the 70s, when, when, because of the affluence of that culture, if you were 15 years old and you hadn't left home, there was already something wrong with you. I mean, it was one of those things where you just, everybody went off and left the primary unit all the time. And it gets into a very kind of isolated situation in life because couples live by themselves. The extended family has kind of broken down. So there's nobody to babysit. There's no aunts and no grandmothers. And, and the, we put old folks in senior citizen places and adult communities and uh, that have, don't have any space for children. And the whole thing gets very uh, stratified and isolated and it's called freedom. <laughs> And so I was free. I mean, I had, uh, my mother died and my father was alone and went into a depression and I held his hand while he met this woman and I held her hand while she met this man and they decided to get married and I gave my blessing. My, my brothers, I gave the bride away and I even took one leg and carried one leg across the threshold for him. That was the end of my responsibility, but I did not that far. Yeah. 
And then I, it was like Maharaji's gift to me, my stepmother, and then my father was happy and it was all fine. And now here it was 15 years later. And uh, I saw that I could be, I was the single person in the family and other, my brothers weren't available. So I moved home. And I thought, that's an interesting myth. You know, you go away and finally at 50 years old, you move home. That's sort of a funny kind of myth, but okay. So I came home and I started to be at home. And my responsibilities in part involved uh, getting my father up in the morning. And that involved getting him, uh, coming in and wakening him and checking his blood pressure and stuff. And then sitting him up and getting him on his walker and going into the toilet, the bathroom and toileting him and then putting him in the shower and bathing him and um, brushing his, taking out his bridges and brushing them and all that stuff and then dressing him and then putting him on his walker and walking with him into the kitchen and feeding him breakfast and then walking him back into his study and getting him in his chair and he's comfortable. And that took about maybe two hours. And I didn't do it all the time, but I was, uh, did that many days each couple, a few days a week, three days a week. So I noticed that um, I had nothing else to do. I mean, I wasn't working anymore. I was unemployed, so to speak. Um, and um, so I started to explore this as a yoga. I mean, this was what was handed to me on my plate. So instead of, well, I'll go off and study yoga somewhere and do that, this is the one I got. So let's see if this can become yoga. So I started to keep a diary of the ways in which I, what would happen each day. And um, you know how when you wake up in the morning, some days you're very cheerful and some days you're kind of irritable and some days you're just quiet and some days you're busy and some, all those kind of things. Well, I noticed that the different ways I would be with my father every day because my father is very placid. He's he never you used to be. My father was a great shaker and mover in his lifetime, but now he's had a few minor strokes and he's just a very quiet guy. I mean, he's, yes, no, there we are. He's got this wonderful thing. There we are. You know, everything he does, there we are. And it gives you a feeling of, oh yeah, right. There we are. <laughs> he gets into a car. There we are. He gets out of there. There we are. So, and I mean, everybody should be as lucky as I am to have, to have a, this gentle, sweet, quiet guy. And he was really, uh, he was a very uh, self-centered man growing up and never gave me much. Uh, he gave financially secure care of us, but not very loving person. And now here he is, he's like the Buddha. He's just like there, he's just lovely. And so I start to do this stuff and I come up in the morning and as I look at the list from day to day and just take out the main words that characterize what space I was in each day, I notice that one day I am busy being, the dominant characteristic is that I am busy being um, kind. That's the word. I was kind that day. I just felt kind and I was being kind. Okay. 
These will be familiar to you. Then one day I was long suffering. <laughs> then one day I was patronizing. One day I was impatient because he moves slowly. And then one day I was infantil infantilizing because he's really like a little child. I mean, you're putting on diapers and pads and things like that. One day I'm humorous. I'm full of jokes. One day I'm distracted. I've got something else in my mind. I'm thinking about it. I'm just doing it, but I'm not thinking about it. One day it's very automatic. I mean, we're just going through the motions together. It's easy. To, it's interesting. It's easy to get into automatic at times because I mean, he, he, at times you can look at him sort of like a machine in which you put in food and outcomes if you're lucky. Uh, and you have charts of what goes in and what comes out because you've got to control how it gets out there. And that becomes, with older people, uh, there's an intestinal consciousness that takes over the house. And we, we all discuss all day whether it was large, small, medium, or, you know, bountiful. And... Uh, and what to do next in our crisis plan. <laughs> and how could it all be in there? Well, I mean, it's seven days. Where is it? Where is it? <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sure many of you are familiar with all this stuff. This is not new. Then some days, uh, one day I'm, I'm busy drawing him out. Like, did you dream last night? And things like that. One day I'm being his spiritual guide. <laughs> that's embarrassing, but that's... Um, one day I'm busy respecting him. One day I am full of filial devotion. One day I am just giving him space. And what I noticed was, and uh, so these are different attitudes, they're different pervasive attitudes towards which I'm doing the same task every day. And the beauty of a repetitive task is it gives you a chance to see the different ways you are in relation to it. Because the task stays the same all the time. Most people can't stand a repetitive task. But it's a wonderful opportunity to study your own, uh, your own way of consciousness. And the way I saw him each day was different. I see him once as, um, as my father, as dad, who used to be this person and isn't anymore. I see him in terms of his history. One, I see him as an old, smelly person. When I'm bathing him, sometimes I see him as a fellow male. I see him as a fellow soul dancing through an incarnation. I see him as Maharaji in drag, who's come to teach me something. I see him as a part of God. I see him as a set of factors, like an ambulatory variable, because I'm a scientist. I see him as an interference in my life, as a nuisance. I see him as my karma. I see him as an opportunity for me to work on myself. Now, uh, and it's quite beautiful, I mean, because we never touched when we were young. And now there's caressing and holding and touching. And when I'm putting on his socks, he's patting me on the back. And there's just this incredible sweetness between us. It's just, I mean, I love him so much now. It's just incredible. But now what I'm doing with all that is that as I'm, see, when you wake up and you're depressed or you're agitated or joyful, 
there's a tendency to treat all that as real. And you just go and get in your car and you drive and you're busy with those moods. Those moods stay in. But when you're doing a repetitive task like this all the time, you see that they're changing. They come and they go. These different models in your head come and go. These different um, feelings about what it is you're doing come and go and change. And after a while, you develop that other part of you that is perfectly uh, equanimous. Equanimity? Perfectly Where's Ursula? <laughs> Equanimous is what equanimity means. <laughs> you develop that perfectly even equanimous nature where all that part of you, where the moods are all still there and the models are still there, but you're not in the model. The model is sort of here rather than here around you. And so you're noticing these different things, but you're noticing it from a place of quite evenness. And you've gone from being somebody who is doing all this stuff, I am helping dad, to helping dad is happening and here we are. And as I get out of the form of taking care of dad, I'm doing it, but I'm not busy identifying with being the actor because I'm hearing how to extricate myself from being the actor. And He's always right here. So as I get here and get out of my role, there we are together. It begins to be a space of just such presence for the two of us. I can go through the whole process of waking him up through breakfast <coughs> and back to the chair now with nobody doing anything. Nothing's happening and we're just right there together. And I feel like I am working, you understand how that becomes yoga in the sense that you are constantly cultivating that part of you so that you are hearing what Christ says about being in the world, but not of the world. You're cultivating, I mean, it's all happening. I'm doing it all. And yet I'm learning how to remain at rest, remain at rest. And that's the process I'm cultivating. And what I found was after a while that I really treasured that being with my father and people, my brother would come along and say, oh, Richard, aren't you great to do this? Boy, I sure, you know, you've, you've taken a big burden off all of us. It's really nice of you to stay with dad. And I thought, you know, I'm not gonna tell him how good this is. I mean, this is, this is the highest, I mean, I might as well get some points. I said, well, you know, it's okay, Bill, someone has to do it. You know? <laughs> the fact of the matter is I'm completely blown away by it, you know, and, I, and I'm, well, the only thing I'm afraid of is someone's going to take it away from me, you know. But, <laughs> um, one little interesting thing happened about the relation with my father was that one day my guru, uh, my guru, Maharaji said to me, Ramdas, um, your father has money? I said, well, he has some money, yeah. He said, um, you going to inherit it? <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, I'm going to inherit a share of it. I've got, you know, two brothers and some nieces and nephews and stuff. I'm going to inherit a share of it. And I always had in my mind, you know, that I can afford to be a yogi, a mishugana thing, you know, because 
later I can be a gentleman farmer or something because I'll inherit some money and then I can, so I don't have to take myself too seriously. You know, I don't have to plan for the future, that kind of thing. I don't have to have annuities or security or put money in the bank or any of that stuff. So he says, you're going to inherit some of it? I said, well, a share of it, you know. Maharaji looks at me and he says, you're not to accept your inheritance. <laughs> and it was very interesting how that affected me and how it affected my perception of my father. Because immediately that money was no longer mine. And what I now wanted him to live forever and enjoy all his money. Well, before, you know, you figure, well, you know, he's 85 already. You know, I don't think he ever <laughs> and it was just interesting, my whole psychological shift towards my father. And I could hear in my brother and the family the other ad of it, you know, because they were all like the will, you know. And, and I was, uh, you know, you have it all. It's wonderful. Dad, spend more. You know, let's spend more. Come on. <laughs> And something happened. He sensed that. I mean, he sensed that I didn't want it from, which I had never really wanted money from him. I mean, he always, uh, I never wanted to take money from him. because, And that always gave me a certain power over him, which I used to enjoy, I think, that everybody else took money from him and I wouldn't. Um, but now it just was irrelevant. The money wasn't relevant anymore. And he started to feel very safe around me. I mean, it was just a different attitude that I had, a vibration I was putting out. And he started to feel very safe. And it's interesting because I'm now completely in control of all his money. I'm the executor of his will. I, you know, I pay all, I keep the house and do all the finances and all the structure of the game, all his stocks and all that stuff. And it's not mine. It's like I'm a bookkeeper for firm. It has nothing to do with me anymore. And uh, Maharaji, I really felt that he freed me from something that would have, being a good Jewish boy, would have <laughs> carried me through to the end of my life, really, the preoccupation about that money. So I gave you the example of dad because, I mean, all of you have situations of one kind or another that is like that. I mean, everybody has to do dishes at night. Everybody, well, maybe you don't. I don't know. In India, nobody does. They all have servants. But... Um, <laughs> Here, um, I, and I know, I do my dishes and I do my laundry and I have the oil changed in my car and I pay my taxes and I do all this stuff. And the question is, are these all things I must do? <laughs> See, I mean, which, which stance do you take in regard to the stuff of life? The minute you understand that it's all yoga, it's all a way of coming into union, everything becomes a vehicle. Everything becomes a vehicle. I mean, everybody you meet, like who are you meeting? Who are you meeting? You walk into the bank and you walk up to the teller and you're handing her your deposit or your check to be cashed or whatever. And who are you meeting? Did you get caught in walking into a bank and seeing a teller? In which case you reinforce that reality? Or do you constantly keep loosening it and loosening it and loosening it? Are you seeing a fellow soul who happens to be being a teller? 
how far out we should meet as teller and, you know, we have to stop meeting this way. It's sort of, we keep, there are different levels at which you can see other human beings and you keep playing with it all the time and playing with it and it becomes, it becomes another form of coming into getting, loosening the hold of all the divisiveness of the sharpness of the discriminating mind, which keeps making a this and a that and a this and a that and a this and a that. And you constantly, you're driving a car and you pretty soon realize you were busy driving. And then the minute you notice that, you just sort of develop the spaciousness and then there's just driving happening. And the car is floating through space and you're floating through space and there's driving and there's motioning and signaling and turning and it's all just like this. And you're right here. And you're always right here. It's interesting because what happens is that the, I think I said it but before, but I'll say again, in, and in the West, we would use the word, uh, the hip word would be trippiness. I don't know whether you use the word trip here. But the, the trippiness goes out of life. The, the rushes and trips of life start to die. The idea of, wow, I'm going to the movies. Let's make love. Have you read this book? I'm going to climb this mountain. Oh, I'm going to eat these escargot. Have you tried this wine? I'm going to take a hot bath. I'm going to climb into bed. I mean, all these ways that you kind of milk the thing for the fullness of the flavor of the richness of the it's kind of that thing. And after a while, I mean, I don't want to take it away from you, but I just want to tell you because you say, well, that's the stuff of life. But, and that's, it's like the romantic storyline of your own life. Am I going to get enlightened? Will I break out of this neurotic pattern? I mean, it's, it's like a, just a tremendously dramatic storyline, you know. Uh, what will he do when he grows up? You know, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> will he marry, won't he? Will he, what, you know, has he a mythic role in the world to change? You know, it's that kind of thing. And after a while, as you develop that kind of equanimity, the whole thing is just like, it's like, um, first it's like reading a story, you know, his story, it's called history, his story, you know, and you're just reading his story and you just, and instead of, instead of the, the and the present is just like the past. I mean, it's just, what'll he do now? You know? <laughs> will Ram Das may, you know, it's like, what will, it's like a continuing drama on the tele, on the telly. And after a while, you just start to feel um, cheated, gypped, because, see, you've been preserving a few trips. <laughs> see, you're willing to give up a lot of the ones you wanted to give up anyway, you know. <laughs> it's interesting, you sort of used to bowl, but you got tired of bowling, so, well, I don't bowl anymore, I'm too high for that, you know, <laughs> or whatever. But you still, well, I mean, yeah, but making love, come on now. I mean, you, you're not going to, you don't mean to say that. <laughs> I don't mean to say anything. You enjoy, enjoy, enjoy as much as you can. 
But after a while, but after a while, something happens. You start to just develop, and it's it's a little bit like a dark night of the soul. It's it's the point where you have started to die to the world, and you haven't yet fully tasted of your divinity. And there's a way in which you would try. You were used to getting your gratification from sensual manipulation of things from color and sound and taste and skin and playing with thoughts and all of this and they all start to turn into stuff just stuff and it's more of it more of it i mean i went through years where the minute i'd wake up i'd turn on classical music and then i would play cello quartets in the old days when i could play the cello and then i um uh, play, have music in my office and music in my automobile. And I just was full of always into Vivaldi and Mozart and Brook and, you know, Bartok and Hindemith. And it was all, and then, and smoking special cigars and going here for the, oh God. Uh, and then it just started to disappear. And I got to the point where I was, I could sit in a room, the simpler the decor became, the better for me. I got so that a simple white room was, I was quite pleased. And I thought, gee, what happened to my aesthetics? What happened to my love of art? What happened to all that stuff? Did it all, it was all beautiful, but just the white wall was beautiful. But at first I felt cheated because I was used to having all those things and used to filling my consciousness with all these things. And then it all started to turn into nothing. And I, there was a period where I said, I wish I could go back. I wish I could make believe I didn't know what I know and I could go back and enjoy all this stuff with that kind of innocent greed or you know, sensual delight again, and I couldn't do it. And that was just a stage. And then it came to the point where everything is what it is. It's nothing and it's everything. And it's back where it's all delightful and all empty. And I would love a nice dinner and I couldn't care less. And somebody says, I really want to take you at, take you and show you Bath. I want to show you this beautiful town. Now, am I going to say, oh yes, really? Wow. You know, because I'm staying at an inn where everybody's saying, now, where will we go today? What will we see? And I, <clears throat> I should really want to see that. And I go and it's beautiful and the crescents are lovely and it's all lovely and it's all nothing at all. It's all absolutely empty and it's all exquisitely beautiful. And I no longer want, need to get lost into it in order to milk it for the, so that life becomes meaningful because just this is enough. It's when enough is enough because I lived for years with it, more was better. You know? And the idea of getting old and my God, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. And then I can't do this and doing that. And then getting to the point where, okay, okay. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.